Well, hello, River Glen. Great to see you. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to all of you here in the room in Waukesha. Uh, welcome to everybody who's watching online, wherever you are. Glad you could join us tonight. Uh, big welcome to all my friends over in Pewaukee this weekend. I hope you guys are doing great. Uh, welcome. Welcome to week number two of our Way of Jesus series. We are, we are really excited about this series and, the, and where it's going to go in the next few weeks. We've been working on this thing for a long time. And kind of the big idea, the big vision with this is real simple. We, we just wanted to take some time and follow Jesus chronologically through the three years of his ministry here on earth and kind of zoom in or, or double click on some of the bigger moments, some of the milestones, and really see, try to get a, a better understanding for all of us. Now, this is my favorite part of this, of this series because this is an all of us kind of series wherever you're at on your faith journey. We're hoping that all of us can just get a better understanding of how did Jesus see things? How, how, what were his perspectives? What were his disciplines? How did he do things? What kind of decisions did he make? What did he tell all of us to do? We do all this because we really do believe the way of Jesus leads to a better life and a fuller life and a life of purpose and meaning. And who doesn't want that, right? That's, that's all of us. A couple things, though, you want to make sure you don't miss as a part of this series as we go through it. And the first one is the reading plan. Our team found a phenomenal reading plan uh, on the YouVersion Bible app. It's seven days long. It captures the heart of what we're going or what, where we're going over this series. Uh, if you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, we would love to show you how to get that. And if you don't have River Glen selected as your church in the Bible app, we'd love to show you how to do that. That's how you're going to access the reading plan is by selecting our church. If you don't know how, you can ask the, the person next to you or find anybody today with a name tag, and we'll show you how to do that. Second thing you don't want to miss in this series is Easter. Feels weird to talk about it already, right? Easter, this whole series culminates in the celebration of Easter, and believe it or not, that is six weeks from today. Yeah, it's going to sneak up on you. So mark your calendars, start planting seeds with who you want to invite to come with you this year. Easter is the biggest celebration in our faith, and it's the biggest weekend of the year for River Glen. We'll make sure that you're a part of it. Well, let's dive in. We are going to talk about celebration today. And I don't know about you, I love a good party. Does anybody here love a good party? I mean a good party. One that is just going off, right? Last weekend was my birthday, and don't ask me how old I am, um, but my wife, she threw me a, uh, thank you, she threw me a surprise party. She went above and beyond this year. I was so grateful. She had a huge group of our friends. We crashed our favorite restaurant, and we just had one of those nights, just an amazing night, tons of laughter and stories. I mean, 10 years worth of, of friends and relationships represented around these tables. It was a great night. Very grateful to be a part of it, but what about you? What's the last great party you attended? Maybe it was a birthday party, or maybe it was a retirement party or a promotion party, maybe it was an anniversary. Sadly, if you're a Chiefs fan, maybe it was last weekend. I know, I know. Um, but what was that for you? What was your last great party? I bet maybe for a few of you, a select few, you're one of the lucky ones who got to experience the worldwide phenomenon, and your last party was the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. This thing is unbelievable. I don't know if you've heard about this thing or not. For the people that have gone to this, they would say this has been the greatest party of their lifetime. And they're not wrong. Four and a half million tickets have been sold to this thing. A billion dollars in revenue it created. It's the biggest, highest grossing tour in the history of the music industry. And probably, probably the biggest celebration of this generation. Sadly, though, I cannot speak from experience on this one. Uh, I, actually I actually tried. I tried to buy a couple of tickets to this thing, uh, and I realized I'd already made one mortgage payment that month. 
I, uh, I didn't need to make another one, so, so I passed <laughs> tickets to the heiress tour. But the, the point is the same for all of us. Everybody loves a great party. And today we're going to read a story about an epic party that occurred from the Bible. John chapter 2 talks about a first century Jewish wedding. Now right out of the gate, you're probably like, what? That doesn't sound like that big of a party. That's what I thought too, until I did a little digging on this. I found out that a, Jew, a first century traditional Jewish wedding was the epic A-list party to be at. One scholar said it this way, said one would be hard pressed to find an occasion more joyous than that of a Jewish wedding. I mean, this was the party to be at. In fact, I found this out too. Many of the modern traditions, like wedding traditions that we use here in the States come from ancient Jewish tradition. A couple of examples. Giving of gold rings comes from Jewish tradition. Uh, brides wearing a veil. Not, not many people do that anymore, but that tradition comes from ancient Jewish tradition. In fact, the whole idea of a wedding reception comes from ancient Jewish tradition. Only the ancient tradition, they, they knew how to get it done, man. This is where this gets really crazy. A typical first century Jewish wedding reception would last seven days. Seven days of nonstop party, baby. Taylor only played for three and a half hours. I mean, this thing blows that out of the water, right? We're talking hundreds of friends and family over the course of this week. A feast that you find at a Vegas buffet. I mean, out of control. And of course, the most important ingredient. We're talking tons and tons of really, really good wine. I mean, wine was the, was, was the main event back then. I found out in ancient Jewish tradition, wine is actually symbolic. It is symbolic of happiness, joy, and God's blessing. This is why, if you do a little, little digging on this, you realize this is why uh, you see wine and celebration as a part of almost every Jewish faith tradition. Now, some of you are thinking, maybe we should be Jewish. <laughs> but it brings up an interesting question. It brings up an interesting question for many people when they think about faith or they think about religion or they think about their relationship with God. They don't think about joy and celebration. They think about pain. They think about frustration. They, get, they think about lack of fulfillment. Many of the people I talk to would say that their experience with faith and church and God has been more like a funeral than it has been like a wedding. Some of the words I hear people say are things like dull, irrelevant, antiquated. Others would say things like cold and lifeless and condemning. What about you? What has your experience with church been like? More like a funeral or more like a wedding celebration? Right, many of you left church altogether for years because your experience was so bad. And now, by God's grace, you're back because you were longing to find something with more life, more joy, more celebration. What's interesting is that the people in the story we're going to read felt a lot like that. They had gone through a period of dryness in their faith journey. It was an entire generation of people whose faith had just gone dim until Jesus showed up. And that's the story we're going to read. John chapter 2, the first 11 verses. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Here's what it says. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. 
Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the groom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here at Cana in Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Am I the only one who finds it interesting that Jesus' first miracle involved alcohol? I just find that fascinating, right? But seriously, though, this story, I mean, of all the stories in the Bible, this is one of the all-time greats. And it's great because it is so rich and so full of deep meaning and symbolism. Almost every single verse has some hidden nugget. It's like a treasure hunt. Has some hidden nugget or symbol or meaning for those folks back then and all of us here today. Starting with the very first two verses. First two verses say this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited. Jesus could have done his first miracle any place. The fact that he chose to, 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 to step into his calling and to launch his ministry at a wedding is huge. It's a huge symbol. It's, it, it ties into exactly what we were just talking about a minute ago, right? He could have picked any place else. He could have picked a palace or a, a protest. He could have picked some place that, that had more authority. It could have had some political power. But instead, what did he pick? Of all the places to pick, he picked a wedding. He picked a party. And so right away, we see this idea that the way of Jesus starts with an invitation to a celebration, not to condemnation. And that is a huge difference. And that's a huge key to keep in mind as we keep going through this journey. But then we run into a problem, a big problem, right? Verse 3 says this, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Have you ever run out of booze at your party? You say, of course not. Have you seen my fridge? Right? But you can imagine how tragic it would be if you did, of course. Back then, it was even more tragic. Not just because wine was good and it brought, you know, life to the party, but because, as we talked about, what wine represented. This was a huge, huge deal. They didn't run out of cheese curds or, or artichoke dip. They ran out of wine, which was a sacred, symbolic thing. This was so significant that the parents of the groom could actually be arrested and put in jail for how offensive it would have been to run out of wine at the wedding celebration. But it's even more significant than that. It's more significant because this is not just a criminal thing, this is another spiritual thing. There's a spiritual symbol here. Running out of wine was a, was a spiritual symbol that represented the fact that the folks at this party had become spiritually dry. They had run out of the joy and the, the life and the celebration in their faith journey. It was, it was a significant loss for them. And many of you know what that feels like. You know what it feels like to be spiritually dry, dry in your soul, right? My wife went through that many years ago. She went through a season where she just, it just, like the light bulb went out for her. She just felt super disconnected from God, felt like she was lost, felt like she was thirsty to find God in her life again and feel his presence and power again. So she started praying this prayer. And maybe some of you might want to pray a prayer like this. She just said, God, if you are really real, 
then please reveal yourself to me. And she prayed that over and over and over again. I mean, from her guts. And over the course of the next year, God answered that prayer. And he revealed himself to her in ways that would resonate with her. And she began to slowly come back to life again and slowly start taking steps again and slowly start feeling joy again. And she got to do some incredible things over the next few years. She got to go to Haiti. She got to go to Uganda. I mean, she followed her calling all the way to Pewaukee, where she leads our RG Kids ministry and the amazing team there. I mean, it has been a great journey for her. If you're feeling spiritually dry, I promise you, you are in the right place. And you are on the right path. Just keep taking steps. Just hang in there. A few chapters later in the book of John, in another verse and another story, Jesus declares that he is living water. And that any of us, if any of us ever take a drink, that we will never be thirsty again. That's a promise worth holding on to, right? So here's what happens next. This next verse. After Jesus' mother tells him that they ran out of wine, Jesus says this. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. I dare any one of you to try this at home. Some of you, this will be the first Bible verse you ever memorize, right? Just p picture this. You're at home, right? You're watching a movie. You're watching a, a playoff game, something important, right? The baby starts crying or there's some chore that needs to be done. I dare you. Just look at your wife or your mother and just say, quote, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. You try that, and then afterwards, just take some ice or maybe a cold pack and put it on your black eye. And eventually, when the bleeding stops, you can come back to church, and, uh, and we'll see you again. <laughs> no, seriously, this is just one of the fun nuances of the English translation of the Bible. The word woman there could be translated as ma'am or m'lady, right? Even Jesus don't mess with mama. All due respect. But what she says next, this is my favorite verse in this whole story. I love this. His mother said, the verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. I think she just knew that was going to be the night. I think she just knew something big was about to happen. I think for 30 years she raised him, knowing that she was his earthly mother, but all the time knowing that the God of heaven was his heavenly father. And that that power rested in him. And I think, you know, mother's intuition is a real thing. I think her intuition just told her this was going to be the night. And so what does she do? What does she say? She turns to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. I love that. Isn't that just a great life principle? What if we all just did that? Hey, just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Struggling to make a decision? Just do what Jesus tells you to do. Not sure about a relationship? Just do what Jesus tells you to do. Searching to figure out what your next move is in any area of your life, just do what Jesus tells you to do. I'll bet that's going to serve you much better, and you're going to make much better of an impact doing that than the whole you-do-you you thing, right? Just do what Jesus tells you to do. And then what happens next? This is great. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Now, most of us here aren't Jewish, so this verse means very little to us. But I promise you, the symbolism and meaning here is huge. In ancient Jude Judaism, 
They had a, a set of rules and rituals that, we had to, that they had to perform in order to be declared good enough and clean enough to be able to go to what they called temple. What we would call church, they called temple. So they had all these rituals they had to do to get good enough and clean enough to be able to go to temple. You and I, we just had to dress in our Sunday best, right? Remember that? This was that times 100. If at any time during the week you, you did something or you touched something that, be, that would be deemed ceremonial unclean by their standards, then you had to go and you had to perform a ceremonial washing ritual to cleanse yourself so that you'd be given permission to go back into the temple. These jars here, these huge jars, they stood about this tall. These jars were used for that ceremony. And this whole idea, you guys, that, this saddens me. This part of the story grieves me because even though this was 2,000 years ago, there's a whole bunch of us that still think this way and still live our lives this way today. We think we got to get good enough first before we come to church. We got to get some stuff cleaned up first before we can sit in one of these seats. I talk to people all the time that say, you know what, I'm, I'm just not ready to get baptized yet. I got, I got a couple things I got to work on first, then I'll be ready to get baptized. And that is so backwards. Jesus put an end to that thinking 2,000 years ago. And he did it using the very tools that they used to use to wash themselves to show once and for all that that way of thinking is gone, that a new way of thinking and a new way of living had begun. It's a powerful, powerful symbol and a powerful moment. For any of my Chosen fans in the room, if you like watching that show, uh, season one, episode five, captures this whole scene of, the, uh, of the, the wedding at Cana beautifully. Be worth watching again if you want to go back. In the scene, there's a great moment where Jesus prays and he says, I'm ready, Father. I'm ready to do what you called me to do. And just after that, he turns a couple of hundred gallons of water into wine. Because I think he knew that performing that miracle in that way, at that place, for that group of people was going to be perfect. Perfect because of the message it would send to them, and perfect for the way that message would echo through all the centuries for all of us today. It is just a, it's a beautiful moment. Take a look at the screens. We've got a short clip of it. Once you make that first cut into the stone, it can't be undone. It sets in motion a series of choices. What used to be a shapeless block of limestone or granite begins its long journey of transformation. And it will never be the same. I'm ready, Father. some out and serve it to the master of the banquet.
I love that. I think my favorite part is hearing the servants cheer from the other room and just the smile that Jesus gets on his face, right? Understand that water turning into wine, is the, it's the crux of the whole story. Had that not happened, I promise you, we would not be here today talking about this. A miracle happened. A transformation happened. Jesus took something that was one thing and he transformed it into a whole new thing. And that is the message. That's why we celebrate. If the way of Jesus starts with an invitation to a celebration, then why we're celebrating is because it causes transformation. The power of the gospel, the whole message of Jesus, the whole thing isn't a self-help method, right? This, this, is not a, this is not a system of pop psychology. Jesus didn't come to make any of us better, right? He didn't take tap water and just make it better. He made it new. He made it something completely different. Think of it this way. If you are an angry person, Jesus isn't going to make you less angry. He will use his power to turn you into someone who has patience, a patient person, right? If you're anxious, he's not going to make you less anxious. By the power of the Spirit, he's going to transform you into someone who is peaceful. If you're an addict or you struggle with addiction, he's not going to help you manage your addiction. By God's grace and power, he will transform you into a sober person. I know. I am one. That's my story, right? Pick anything that you're struggling with. Jealous, resentful, hurt, bitter, greedy, lost, struggling. If you've given up, Jesus didn't come to make you a better version of you. He came to make all things new. That's why we used to give this shirt out. Years ago, this was one of the old baptism shirts. Some of you might have one of these. This is like a relic now, right? Jesus isn't going to make you a better version of you. He came to make all things new, and that is why we celebrate. And do you remember how the story ends? Next verse, the servant, the, the master of the banquet, called the groom aside and said that everyone brings the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best for now. God's plan will always go above and beyond our expectations. It'll always be better than we imagined or better than we'd hoped. Maybe not always in the timing we hoped, right? Maybe not always in the method or the way to get there that we hoped, but God always, always goes above and beyond. And the whole symbolism of why he saved the wine for, the, for that point in the service, right? That, that line, he saved the best for now, that's another symbol of the entire chronology of humanity, of God when he chose between creation and when he chose to send Jesus. And that moment in history, the moment he chose to send Jesus to, our, to, to earth is the greatest moment in human history. And will forever be a moment that has changed, is changing, and will continue to change our world forever. That's the symbolism in saving the best for now. And so you put all this together, and what do you get? The way of Jesus is an invitation to a celebration that causes transformation that will exceed yours and my expectations. That's the journey of John 2. And you go back and you pick apart each one of these things. The way of Jesus is an invitation, you guys. It is an invitation. And who's invited? Everybody. That's why this is such good news. Everybody is invited. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. We've talked about this one a ton. You've probably heard this one. says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would have everlasting, everlasting life. Who is whoever? Everybody. You, me, everyone online, all my friends in Pewaukee, every human being that we will ever come eyeball to eyeball with has been invited. We even have 2,000 light bulbs out in our lobbies that declare this. Everyone has been invited. And invited to what? A service? No. 
a celebration. A celebration. And I'm here to tell you that if your faith journey has felt more like a funeral, then something is wrong. Something is missing. Something went wrong somewhere in there because it is supposed to be a celebration. Jesus said this. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they, us, may have life and have it to the full. You have everything you need to lead an abundant and exciting spirit-led life. Our church, our campuses, we're here to help you do that, to find the plan and find the purpose God has for you. Let us do that. We would love to see you become who God made you to be and live the life that he has designed for you, right? Life to the full. And that whole thing causes and is a result of what? Of transformation. We're not talking incremental changes here. We're talking the power of the gospel makes dead things rise, makes lost things found, makes old things new again. Second Corinthians talks about that. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. An expectation. It'll always be better than we expected. Paul talks about this, and in the book of Ephesians, he says a prayer to God, and I love the way he talks about God. He says this, Now to the him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. That is the power of the God that we serve, way beyond anything that we can expect. The way of Jesus is an invitation to a celebration that causes transformation that exceeds our expectations. I'll give you 10 bucks if you can say that 10 times fast right? It's a mouthful because it's powerful. And John, the author of this story, punctuates this whole moment in the last verse. He says this, verse 11, what Jesus did here at Cana in Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And I got to ask you, have you taken that same step? Do you believe? Do you believe the way they believed in the story? I love the way they translate the original word for believe in that language. It means this, to be firmly persuaded with the idea of hope and certain expectations. Is that you? Whatever your answer is to that question, I promise you there is something for all of us in this story. Some of you, some of you, your first step or your next step in this is to follow the example in verse 2. Remember that when it said Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. This is an important point. It doesn't sound like one out of the gate, but you got to think about this. Jesus didn't go to the wedding because it was culturally appropriate. And he didn't go to the wedding because he grew up in a family that always went to weddings. And he didn't go to the wedding so he would appear like a good person. Why did Jesus go to the wedding? Because he was invited to. And the fact of the matter is, if we want miracles in our lives, then we need to invite him into our lives as well. You see, the, it's one thing to know of Jesus. It's another thing to even like the idea of Jesus. It's a whole other thing altogether to invite him to be the Lord and leader of your life. And we would love to help you take that step. Today could be your day. Right? An invitation to make him the Lord and leader of your life could be as simple as just saying a prayer right there in your seat. We're not going to make you stand up. We're not going to embarrass you or do anything like that. This is between you and God. But if you would like today to be that day for you, to finally stop running, finally stop fighting, finally to say, okay, I'm yours. But I, I want to encourage you, pray this prayer with us. Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I have chosen my own way for too long. I ask you to forgive me for the pain I've caused, myself and others. Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Lord and leader from this day forward. Please make me new and help me to follow you. Amen. 
Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, we celebrate you. Can we give them a hand, everybody? Give them a big hand. We would love to invite you to take your very first step as a follower of Jesus. The very first thing Jesus did in his ministry was he got baptized, and we would love for you to take your first step and get baptized. We're actually doing baptisms as a part of our Easter services this year. What a great weekend, right? Let this weekend, let that be your chance uh, to get in the water and declare your new faith in Jesus. You can sign up for that on the welcome card in front of you, or you can go to the Next Steps Hub. You can sign up online, but we love to, we'd love to celebrate your baptism with you in just a few weeks. Now, some of you, you've already done that. You invited Jesus in maybe a long time ago. That's great. Maybe for you, your next step in this story is what Jesus' mother said in verse 5. Remember that? Just do whatever he tells you to do. So what has Jesus been telling you to do? How has Jesus been challenging you? How has he been encouraging and pulling you? What is it you know Jesus wants you to do? What is it you know Jesus wants you to stop doing? Will you listen? Will you obey? See, something we all got to understand is that our spiritual growth will never outpace our level of obedience. And how can we obey if we don't take time to listen and to grow. This is why we spend so much time and so much energy in, in, in groups like Alpha and Rooted, because they, they teach us how to listen to Jesus and how to respond and how to do what it is that he's saying. This is why we have uh, 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 mission trips and serving opportunities and, and uh, uh, ways to give and tons of things around here. We even have an area in our lobby called the Next Steps Hub. Why? To help you figure out what your next step is so you can do what Jesus is telling you to do. You can do it. Will you do it is the question. We'd love to help you discover what that is and take that step in your journey. And some of you, though, you already did invite Jesus in. You're already doing what he's telling you to do. But your miracle hasn't come yet. You're just waiting. You prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing's happening yet. Maybe you've had some real pain or some real disappointment that you've had to go through. And may, maybe some of that was your fault as a result of some of the choices you made. Maybe some of it was somebody else's fault. The choices they made, maybe some of it was nobody's fault. It just, it just is. And still you're waiting for peace, for comfort, for healing. You're waiting for your miracle. Let me just say, if that is you, I am, I'm sorry for your pain. I don't know the details of your story, um, but I bet I can empathize at least a little bit. I've been there. I've been in a season like that. I've been dry in my faith. I've been knocked down so hard, I didn't want to get back up again. And I've been this close to walking away for good. And all I can tell you is just hang in there. Hang in there. It's worth it. God is good, and he is kind, and he is powerful, and he is patient. We don't often talk about that, do we? We love it when God is patient with us, right? When he gives us time to learn from our mistakes and turn towards him. We love that part of his patience. We don't like it so much when God is patient toward us. When he takes longer than we expect or he does things different because he is like a good father who knows more than we know and he knows what is best for us. Sometimes that takes some getting used to, but I promise you it's worth it. Just hang in there. Don't let your light burn out. Just like in the story, God saved the best for last. And he is working on your behalf right now. 
and yours and yours and yours and yours and your behalf too. Just hang in there. The way of Jesus is an invitation to a celebration that causes transformation that will exceed all of our expectations. And the final symbol in this story actually comes a few years later when Jesus' hour finally made it. When his hour finally came, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus once again taught us another lesson with wine. This guy always had some wine, right? He was sitting there with his disciples, and he knew his moment had come. He knew he had done the work. He fulfilled the mission and message that God gave him. And he also knew that his disciples, those back then, all the way through the centuries to us right now, we would need a symbol, something to hold on to, something to give us hope. And so that night at that dinner, he held up a glass of wine in front of his disciples, and he said, all right, from now on, this wine is going to represent my blood, which is about to be shed for you so that you can be forgiven and you can find a relationship with your heavenly father. And he gave them the command, and the command rings through to us that every time we gather as a group of followers, we're going to share this sacred moment. And we're going to do three things in this moment. First thing we do is we remember Jesus' sacrifice. Second thing is we repent of the sin that has separated us from God. And the third thing is we rejoice. We rejoice when we look forward to the party that's going to come at the end of the story. See, I don't think it's an accident that all the way back at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, where it talks about heaven, how is heaven described as a grand wedding feast? I don't think that's an accident. Revelations 19 says, Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Heaven is going to be the greatest party of all time, and it will never come to an end. And it is in that hope that we share communion every time we get together. And so if you're in any of our auditoriums, we have communion elements by the back doors. If you're watching online right now, grab some bread and grab some juice so you can participate with us. Here's how this is going to work. We're going to do a little different today. In just a minute, I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to say amen. I'm going to leave the rest of the prayer up to you. You're going to have a couple of minutes there on your seat to have communion and to talk to God. And you're going to have a couple of minutes to listen to him too. And then our band is going to come up and close us out in a song. So would you pray with me? Holy God, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise that following you is a joyful celebration. Thank you that you are a God of joy and happiness and elation and excitement. God, that following you is supposed to be wonderful. Thank you that that is the promise and the way that you have made us to be in celebration with you. God, I pray specifically right now for those who are not feeling joy or celebration in their lives. Those who are going through a, a tough season, those who are struggling through some difficult circumstances, those who are dealing with consequences right now. God, I just, I lift up to you those in this room and in our church and in our community who are feeling dry, feeling separated from you, feeling like their faith light has gone dim. God, as you did in the story, would you bring the joy? Would you bring excitement? Would you bring blessing? Would you bring your love and your power that's far beyond anything we can understand or comprehend to put all the pieces together to create a great story that you've invited us to be a part of? God, thank you for that. I pray for anyone in here 
who made the decision today to invite you into their lives, God, that you would come crashing in, that it would be an amazing experience as you promised it to be. Please help them to grow and take steps in their faith. Thank you for the privilege we get as a church to walk alongside them. God, thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.